I was thinking about our children in the service with us today and I had a thought of something we've done occasionally and I hope this doesn't cause too much trouble, but kids, we're going to be looking at the story of Jonah today and if any of you wanted to uh, draw a picture of what's going on uh, in the life of Jonah in chapter one, I think that would be cool and I would love to see it afterwards. So if you have a paper and a pencil or something, then... uh, Feel free to do that. As so, so listen as we read the story and as we as we walk through it. Uh, I'd love to see those pictures afterwards. All right. Well, yes, we are going to be in Jonah chapter one, and uh, I want to start by uh, praying for us, lifting up our time in God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us. Uh, that you spoke through the prophet Jonah. Uh, that we have this book in our Bible that we can continue to read, a book that continues to testify, God, to your salvation, to your greatness, to your mercy for sinners, a a book that testifies to you, Christ. We are grateful for it. Uh, Lord, give us minds to understand what you say, ears to listen and eyes to see. Uh, Pray for each of us in this room, uh, Lord, that you would be Uh, with us and near to us. Uh, As we will see, Jonah was running, seeking to get far away from you. Uh, If any of us are doing that this morning, uh, in big ways or in small ways, uh, Lord, we just remember what the psalmist says, that uh, there's there's nowhere that we can flee from your presence, God. Wherever we go, uh, you are there. You are here with us, uh, with each one of us this morning, uh, regardless of the kind of spiritual or mental state that we are in. So would you make your presence known to each of us and that it would, uh, we would certainly be filled with awe of who you are, but Lord, that your mercy and your kindness and your compassion would melt our hearts. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking in Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jonah's descent, his infamous descent from anointed prophet of the Most High God to condemned castaway in the belly of a fish. This book starts with God telling Jonah to arise, but instead he runs away from God. And as he runs, he goes down. That's what the narrative presents us with. Uh, Jonah goes down. He goes down to Joppa, down to a ship, down into the inner recesses of the ship, and then later down into the sea, And finally, down into the belly of a fish. Jonah goes down, but the others go up. The others in this chapter go up. Jonah descends, but God is exalted. God's wisdom and power are more fully seen. His holiness and mercy are more widely known. Jonah sinks down, but the sailors on the ship with him, they're lifted up. They go from idolatry and terror and confusion in the midst of a storm to calm waters and peace and safety where they're worshiping and fearing God. You know, one of the central ironies of the book of Jonah is that Jonah is amazingly successful in in the ministry that God calls him to do, despite how hard he works to avoid doing it, right? He's supposed to go preach God's word to Nineveh, And he will eventually do that. But first he runs away. But what does God do with his flight? God turns Jonah's flight into a little like bonus mission trip. Okay, Jonah, you want to run in the opposite direction? We'll use that opportunity to make 
me and my word known to even more nations, known to even more people. Uh, so that's what we're going to be looking at today, that little uh, side mission trip uh, that, that Jonah goes on in his flight from God. Uh, so in particular, we're going to see that the sailors on that ship learn of God's salvation because of Jonah's rebellion, because of his flight away from God. So that's our main point for this, ma- for this message, for this passage. Uh, it's simply this, Jonah's descent testifies to God's salvation. Uh, Jonah's descent testifies first to our need for salvation, but it also testifies to the way in which God saves us. So we'll, we'll look at this chapter in three sections. First, in verses one through four, Jonah goes down to a ship, testifying to God's punishment of sin. Second, in verses five through 13, Jonah goes down into the belly of the ship, testifying to man's lostness without the word of God. And then third, in verses 14 through 17, Jonah goes down into the belly of the fish, testifying to Christ's atonement for sin. And as we move through these three sections, we're gonna take some time to engage with the details of the story, Because it's a good story, it's an interesting story, we want to appreciate its richness. But along the way, we'll also be working uh, to connect this story to our lives today, to see see what it teaches about ourselves, uh, about God's salvation in Christ. Uh, My prayer is that each of you would be encouraged by the passage, uh, that God would use it to give you hope and to draw you even one step closer to him, uh, especially For any of you who are currently running away from God, ignoring God, wishing God would just leave you alone, Uh, especially those who might fit into that category. Uh, That's my prayer for us. Uh, So let's start by looking at kind of the bad news. Let's start by looking at our need for salvation. Uh, So point number one again, Jonah goes down to a ship testifying to God's punishment of sin. Let me read verses one through four. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. According to 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah was a prophet in the northern kingdom. He was a prophet in Israel during the reign of a wicked king, Jeroboam. But it's interesting, the little insight that that verse in 2 Kings 14.25 gives us about the ministry of Jonah, because Jonah had actually prophesied during the time of that wicked king, during the time of evil in Israel, that God was going to be compassionate to Israel. That during that time, God would rescue Israel and protect them from their enemies by restoring their borders. And so, uh, Jonah saw God be merciful to Israel. But here, Jonah is sent out from Israel to preach in Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, uh, which was basically the big evil empire of Jonah's day, the big empire that was constantly threatening Israel's borders. So Jonah saw God's mercy in Israel. He's sent to go preach the word of God in Nineveh, but Jonah didn't go. You know, uh, think of the prophet Isaiah. When God called Isaiah, 
uh, his response was, here am I, Lord, send me. When God calls Jonah, his response was basically, there I was, Lord, send someone else. Uh, so Jonah doesn't go. Uh, Nineveh was east of Israel by land. So Jonah got on a boat and traveled west of Israel by sea to the city Tarshish, basically as far in the opposite direction as he could go. And we might be tempted to think, uh, you know, reading uh, chapter one here initially, that Jonah didn't go to Nineveh maybe because he was afraid of what those Ninevites would do to him. They were a particularly cruel people. But actually, as we'll see in chapter four, Jonah didn't go to Nineveh because he was actually afraid of what God was going to do to them. He was afraid that God was going to be kind to them. He was afraid that God would show them compassion and mercy, that God would forgive them. So it's possible, kind of putting those pieces together, that Jonah had first seen God be merciful to Israel, but now he doesn't want God to show that same mercy in Nineveh. So Jonah maybe appreciated God's blessing and loving kindness for himself, for Israel, but not for others, not for Nineveh. Now, whatever the case, Jonah went down to Joppa, a port city on the Mediterranean Sea, bought his one-way ticket, and went down onto the ship. He wanted to get away from God, which, if you think about it, that's a pretty irrational and foolish thing to do, getting on a ship for Tarshish. That was about as successful as Adam and Eve hiding from God in the garden. It's about as successful as Cain building a city so that he can establish himself apart from God. It's about as successful as any of the seemingly sophisticated methods uh, that people have contrived to kind of avoid God, get away from God, right? You read the story and you're like, oh, as if God doesn't know where Tarshish is, right? Can't, can't get there. Uh, oh, Jonah, you, uh, you tricked me. You got away, you got away from me, right? It, it's, it's irrational. It's, it's foolish on Jonah's part. And we know that. We know when we're trying to hide from God. It's kind of silly, right? Like a kid closing your eyes, thinking your parents can't see you or something like that. Uh, but not only was Jonah's descent irrational and foolish, it was high treason against the king of kings. He'd been given a message by God, a message that was a matter of life and death for thousands and thousands of people, a message of severe importance for Nineveh. So imagine some scenario uh, in which there's a city that's, that's going to be bombed um, and somehow you're given a message, you're the only one, and you have to deliver a message to that city to, right, to maybe warn them that they're going to be bombed or tell them how they can stop this from happening. You have the message, but you just decide, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's, that's basically what Jonah does. He'd rather just let those people be destroyed than, than, than go to the effort to go and, and warn them of what's happening. So when he does that, uh, in the story of Jonah, we basically have to push pause on God dealing with the sin of Nineveh because he's first going to deal with the sin of Jonah. So once Jonah was on the ship and out at sea, it says that God hurled a great wind at the ship, kind of like somebody hurling a spear at their enemy. And so we're left to draw the rather obvious conclusion that God did not approve of what Jonah had done. Uh, the storm was punishment for Jonah's disobedience. So think about it, right? You've got a prophet on a ship at sea 
in the midst of a storm, and the storm comes because his God is angry at him. And on the one hand, it would be hard to think of a more stereotypical image of an angry God, right? Uh, Casting this storm at his prophet, seemingly irregardless of whoever else is there, whoever else might get in the way of what he's doing. And so we we can pause and ask ourselves the question, is that really who God is? Is this really how how we should be thinking of him? Well, on the one hand, uh, we probably want to be careful to distinguish between uh, stereotypes or kind of caricatures of mythical divine beings from how the living God is actually revealed to us in Scripture, right? We don't want to stop reading here and just jump to some conclusions, some simplistic conclusions about who God is. We have to keep reading to see what God is really like. Uh, we see that he is pure and holy and good and all that he does. That, that in the end, at the end of the story, uh, we see this in the book of Jonah, but just in the big story of how God is working, uh, in the end, uh, God is justified in all that he does. Uh, in the end, no one will, will be able to uh, accuse God of, of doing anything uh, less than what is good and wise and holy. And then on the other hand, uh, when, we, when we see God portrayed in this way, uh, we should also humble ourselves before him. He holds the power of life and death for each of us. For Jonah and those sailors, that point was particularly clear to them uh, in that moment. Uh, but for each of us, we're all accountable to God uh, for how we live and what we do. Uh, Abraham in uh, Genesis 18 says that God is the judge of all the earth. And Paul in Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. So Jonah, it seems, had earned his wage. Uh, the, The present circumstances of his life testified to the truth that God punishes sin. And perhaps you, like Jonah, are running from God. Perhaps you know what God has called you to do. You know how God has instructed you to live. Uh, but you are doing anything you can uh, to get away from God. You don't want to hear his word, much less do you want to speak it to others. You want God to stop interfering in your life. And, perhaps like Jonah, you are currently in some way bearing the consequences of that rebellion. Uh, perhaps you are being tossed around uh, on, at, at sea as, as sin is bearing its destructive fruit in your life. So God punishes sin, uh, but as Christians, we don't shy away from that truth. Uh, We don't shy away from the fact that that God punishes sin uh, because there's hope, uh, because God provides forgiveness and redemption. Uh, No matter how desperate your situation gets, uh, even if you're faithless and rebellious like Jonah, God is faithful, right? So, So Jonah ran away from God and God sent a fierce storm, but the story's not over yet. There's still hope for Jonah, as we will see. There's still hope for Nineveh, uh, which we'll see later on in this book. And there's even hope for these poor sailors on the ship, right? They seem to be just innocent bystanders caught in a fight between God and his prophet, but God has his purposes for them as well. It wasn't just random bad luck that, they, that Jonah got on their ship. Uh, they too are going to find hope. Uh, they too are going to hear the word of the living God. Uh, But first, God is going to use this situation with Jonah uh, to bring those sailors to the limits of their own strength 
and reveal to them the futility of the false gods that they worship. So that's what we'll see with point two. Uh, Point two again, Jonah goes down into the belly of the ship, testifying to man's lostness without the word of God. Uh, So let's keep reading, uh, starting in verse five. So the storm comes, verse five, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So the storm hit and it very quickly become one of those like pray to whatever God you believe in type situations for these sailors. All of them started praying to all their different gods, uh, which by the way implies that those sailors were from a variety of different cities, a variety of different uh, nations because they, they all had their variety of gods that they were praying to. Um, and then they did what little they could in their own strength by throwing the cargo overboard. Uh, but none of that mattered. Uh, because the man with answers had gone down even further into the inner recesses of the ship. And he found a place to sleep. Uh, He may have been down in the ship asleep because he was depressed and exhausted from all of the spiritual and emotional strain of what he'd been doing. Uh, He may have just wanted to close his eyes and hope that all of his problems would go away. Uh, He may have just gone and lied down to go to sleep because he thought, well, this is the end. We're not going to survive this. I'm guilty. It's all over. I'm just going to go lay down and hide. Um, Whatever the case, though, he's asleep in the middle of the storm, and the captain finds him, and he's kind of shocked and surprised. So he wakes him up, and what's interesting is that the captain addresses Jonah with some of the exact same words that God had addressed Jonah earlier. Uh, particularly two, two of the commands that the captain gives to him, arise and call out. Be like waking up from a bad dream on Jonah's part, right? Like, wait, right? Where, where the captain says, arise, and the captain says, call out. Uh, maybe Jonah's God can help. But Jonah doesn't want to talk to God. He's fleeing from his presence. He doesn't want to invoke God's presence. He's trying to get away from him. And as far as the text tells us, or doesn't tell us, Jonah didn't cry out to God. The text says that all the other people did, uh, but it doesn't say that Jonah does. So the sailors move on to the next 
phase of their panic, I guess, uh, which was casting lots. Casting lots is basically an ancient version of rolling dice or flipping coins. Uh, It's interesting in the Old Testament law, uh, the priests in, in the book of Leviticus would cast lots on the day of atonement to determine which of two goats would be sacrificed and which of them would be the scapegoat, the goat that would be sent out into the wilderness. And then there are some other places in the Bible where casting lots is done in a legitimate way based on the understanding that God is sovereign over all things, even the flipping of a coin or the rolling of the dice or the casting of lots, something like that. But it's interesting in the case of these sailors because they're clearly idolaters uh, who are worshiping other gods. Uh, So in their case, it seems like it would have been more of an act of superstition on their part But nevertheless, uh, God accommodates them, accommodates their superstition, and the truth is revealed. They learn that Jonah was at fault, but they need to know more than what what those lots could tell them. So they pepper Jonah with questions, right? Why is this happening? Who are you? Where are you from? What did you do? And then in verse 9, we finally hear, for the first time recorded in the text, Jonah speak. It took quite a lot to get this guy to open his mouth. Uh, But at some point, according to verse 10, he had told them that he was fleeing from the presence of God. And when they first heard that, uh, they probably didn't really know what to make of it. Uh, In their minds, uh, they were heading out to sea, going far away to Tarshish. Uh, Jonah was running from uh, the God of Israel, that nation over there. So perhaps in their minds, they thought, what can the God of that nation over there, what can the God of Israel do to us out here at sea? Maybe nothing. So maybe it wasn't that big of a deal to them. But when Jonah confesses in verse 9, which is kind of the central verse of of this chapter, when Jonah confesses in verse 9 who this God is, when he says that he's not just running from the God of Israel, but the God of heaven, the God who made the sea and the dry land, then it says that the sailors became exceedingly afraid. Uh, Then they realize, oh, Jonah didn't just make some small local deity angry. We're dealing here with the God of heaven, the God who made the sea that we're in, in, the God who made all things. But as it turns out, uh, this was actually a good position for those sailors to be in uh, because it forced Jonah to open his mouth and they heard the word of God. They learned who this God is. Uh, Up to that point, these sailors were lost and we're all lost without the word of God And we're all running around like those sailors looking for any God, any idea, any doctrine that might help us uh, in a moment when we're panicking. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.14 says that we're like children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So these sailors, they were being tossed to and fro by literal waves, but they were also being tossed to and fro by false gods, by strange doctrines, by lies about who they really are and who the true God actually is. But God's word is an anchor for the soul. The prophet finally spoke, and when he did, he spoke truthfully, even if he spoke reluctantly. He confessed that God dwells in the heavens, that he is the maker and therefore the ruler of all things. So the sailors knew their situation was dire. Uh, When they heard of the true God, they humbled themselves and they asked for help. So let me encourage you to do the same. Humble yourself like those sailors who asked Jonah what they needed to do to him so that the storm would stop, 
Humble yourself like the Philippian jailer who in his own desperate situation asked the apostle Paul a similar question, what must I do to be saved? And according to Acts chapter 16, Paul pointed the jailer to Jesus. And as it turns out, Jonah does the same. He points us to Jesus, though in his own unique way. He tells the sailors to throw him into the sea. The lots were cast and they fell on him. He's the guilty one. They need to throw him overboard so that they can be saved. But it leaves the sailors in a, a bit of a difficult spot. Uh, they don't want to throw Jonah overboard. They don't want to be guilty for his life if, if it doesn't work, if it was the wrong thing to do. Um, so so they, they try once again, uh, no longer are they praying to their gods, but they turn once again to their own strength and their own skills, and they try to get back to dry land. But God prevents them from doing so. They can't undo the situation that they're in. Uh, God has really left them no other option but to deal directly with him. And again, that's a good thing. That's a good position for these sailors to be in. It's a good position for us to be in as well. Uh, because the sailors are no longer lost in their ignorance. God has spoken to them and they now can respond to God. They can respond to what they've learned about God. So point number three, uh, Jonah goes down into the belly of the fish, testifying to Christ's atonement for sin. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. They attempted to row back to shore, and that failed. So the sailors call out to God. Uh, that, that verb is used again, right? No longer, though, are they calling out to their gods. They're calling out to Jonah's God. Uh, they didn't want to be guilty for taking Jonah's life unnecessarily. But again, there's really nothing else they can do. So they ask God for mercy and throw Jonah into the sea. And then finally, the storm is quiet. The sailors are safe, but once again, the text tells us they're afraid. They exceedingly feared. Uh, this time, they feared the Lord uh, because he had miraculously stopped the storm. Uh, I imagine it was the same kind of fear that the disciples had on the Sea of Galilee when they were with, when they were with Jesus. Uh, when the storm was about to sink their ship, it says that they were afraid when Jesus, with his voice, immediately stopped the storm. It says that the disciples were like greatly afraid, exceedingly afraid. A bit of irony there, um, right? But, but when, when they're confronted with the power of Christ, when these sailors are confronted with the power of God, uh, they fear God. So Jonah goes down into the sea and into the belly of the fish and the sailors are saved. Uh, when we first met the sailors in verse five, uh, they were calling out to their own gods but the last time we see these sailors here in these verses, they're calling out to God and then they're responding to his mercy with worship and sacrifice. You know, we don't know how exactly those sailors would have made sense of all that was happening. 
But as we consider this scene in light of the rest of Scripture, uh, we see that even in getting thrown off a boat, Jonah testifies to God's salvation. The guy just can't lose, and despite his attempts uh, to do otherwise, right? Uh, the shame of being condemned, right? Cast off the ship. But even in that, he's testifying to God's salvation. He's testifying to Christ's atonement for sin. Uh, Jonah is God's anointed one, but he perishes for the sake of these sinful pagans. Uh, they cast lots to see who bore the guilt, and the lot fell on Jonah. He was abandoned so that they could live. And that all may be true, but here's what you should be thinking at this moment. Yeah, but Jonah was awful, and Jesus was good, right? Jonah really was guilty, and Jesus was innocent. So how could Jonah be a picture for us of Christ? How could he be a picture to those sailors of God's salvation? You know, as Christians, we're generally in the habit uh, when we read Jonah of identifying ourselves with him. And there's good reason to do that. Uh, We run away from God and what he's calling us to do. Uh, We ignore him and we need his mercy. And it's comforting as we read the story of Jonah to know that God does not abandon us. No matter how far away from him we run, uh, he still uses our lives for his good purposes. He's still there with us however far down we go. Uh, So it's good and it's valid for us to identify ourselves with Jonah, to find hope in God's patience and mercy. But when Jesus talks about Jonah, Jesus doesn't identify Jonah with us as God's wayward people. Instead, Jesus identifies Jonah with himself as a sign or a testimony of God's judgment and mercy, a sign of the truthfulness of his word. in Matthew 12, uh, verses 39 through 41. I, re- I won't read them, but that's, that's one of the most important passages where Jesus makes a direct comparison between himself and Jonah. Uh, basically, Jonah's three days and nights in the belly of the fish are a sign to Nineveh of the truthfulness of Jonah's message. And then Christ's three days and three nights in the heart of the earth are a sign to all people of the truthfulness of his message. So there's an obvious similarity between Jonah coming up alive out of the belly of the fish after three days and Jesus coming up alive out of the tomb after three days. But what I think we can see here in Jonah chapter one, because Jonah hasn't yet come out of the belly of the fish, but what I think we can see here in Jonah chapter one is that there are also similarities between Jonah going down into the belly of the fish in the first place and Christ going down to his death in the first place. So Jonah is by no means an ideal sign of Christ. However, Christ identifies with the lowliest of his people. He identifies with the rottenest of his prophets. So God used Jonah in his rebellion and sin to speak his word to those lost sailors. He used Jonah's descent to testify to his salvation. And then Christ united Jonah's life and work to his own life and work. I mean, if you're trying to prove that you're the Messiah, God's anointed one, there are lots of better people than Jonah to identify yourself with in the Old Testament. Uh, But but Christ identifies himself with that prophet, with that rebellious prophet who was running away from God. Uh, He declared the life of Jonah to be a sign And so if Christ has united us to himself, we too can have the hope and the comfort that 
the, the certainty knowing that God will pursue us no matter how far away from him we run, uh, knowing that he will use our lives to bear witness to the truth of the gospel. So Jonah's descent testifies to God's salvation. It testifies to God's punishment of sin, as we saw with the storm. It testifies to man's lostness, apart from the word of God, as we saw with the sailors. And Jonah's descent testifies to God's work of atonement, as we saw with the calming of the storm. God's wrath against sin was turned away. So let me just end with a brief exhortation, especially to those of you who are running from God. Jonah's descent gives us hope. We can't outrun the mercy of God. So let's let go of bitterness and stubbornness and pride or whatever other small reason you may have that's turned into a big reason in your mind for running away from God. No matter how low we go, Christ has gone lower. Let's pray. Christ, thank you for identifying with us your people, though we are rebellious and sinful, uh, though you are clean and righteous and we are unclean and unrighteous. Uh, there's certainly a mystery to uh, your mercy, God, uh, a mystery to the, the kindness you show Jonah, the kindness that you show those sailors. Uh, Lord, help us not to miss it and help us to just taste and see uh, the goodness of that mercy and that forgiveness. Lord, I imagine that there are uh, some of us who are like Jonah, just sick and depressed and running away from you, trying to ignore the reality of this world that you've created and that you reign over. Others of us, like those sailors, are just uh, helplessly lost in our confusion, uh, searching after anything uh, to be an anchor for our lives. Uh, Christ, you are that anchor. Uh, help us cling more tightly to you. We pray in your name. Amen.